You're listening to Identity Revolution, a podcast from the consumer identity management experts at Infutor Data Solutions. In each episode, we invite industry leaders for data-driven discussions on all things marketing, analytics, and identity. Join us as we take a deep dive into industry trends, strategies, and the future of data technology. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the inaugural episode of Identity Revolution. Our special guest today is Xavier Riley of Standard Industries. Xavier, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Fred. How are you? I'm living the dream here in Chicago. I can't tell you how beautiful it is for a November day. The weather is here in this city, and uh, within a week, we should be, unfortunately, witnessing a, a sudden change. So uh, you're in San Francisco, correct? San Jose, to be specific. Okay, so obviously your weather situation will be much nicer than ours for the next few months. So I, I, this pandemic, one of the, the, the many unfortunate aspects of it is that uh, I'm no longer able to travel as much as I once did, but I love getting out to that area. It's such a beautiful area. And I love Chicago as well. Yeah, so hopefully soon it'll be behind us and we can get together again. I'm looking forward to it and reminiscing about the days that we had together at some of our former companies. Absolutely. But it, to get started, can you give the audience a little bit of background on yourself and what you're up to right now at Standard? Yeah, absolutely. First of all, Fred, thanks for having me. It's, it's always a treat to be asked to do things like this. So my, my background, you know, I'll give you the the elevator pitch in 30 seconds or less about myself. By education, I'm a materials engineering. Materials engineer. I started my career in telecom operations, went to voice automation, did product development in the tel- on telecom systems. I did product development on data. And then I went into engineering with a uh, specifically on data analytics and data. And then that's what kind of really brought me to Standard. Standard Industries is the world's largest waterproofing and roofing company in the world. And Standard Industries is more or less a holding company, and they have seven other entities or operating companies underneath them, the two biggest of which are BMI across the world and JF, which is specific to North America. Standard Industries is about 15,000 people globally, and I run, I'm their head of digital strategy and innovation. It's kind of a mouthful, but my role is really kind of bifurcated into two things. One, digital strategy is building the infrastructure, data assets, and some of the tooling around how we gather and work with data. And the other side of my role is innovation, where we work with our operating companies and we try and look at this, take um, really hard business problems and come up with innovative ways to uh, solve those solutions for our operating companies. Great. Well, I know about your wealth of experience in the data analytics space. And now, obviously, you've taken that to Standard. But how do you take a company like Standard, founded in 1886, and get them to look look at and use data to their advantage? You know, that, that's a great question. Standard industry in, in and of itself is, is a holding company. It's probably been in existence for about four or five years. But GAF and BMI, their operating companies, the two big ones, have been around for 100 plus years. And really, it's, it started with the two CEOs at Standard Industries, David Winters and David Millstone. They had a vision that all of our decisions at our operating companies should be data, data-led. And so they, they went hunting for a person. Unfortunately, they chose me. And, you know, as I began my journey here at Standard, it was how do we construct something that is usable by everyone, that everyone can dip into, and kind of like a central repository for data. We effectively internally call it our data bank. 
Because if you think of data like currency, you want to save your money, you want to save your data, your money gains interest. If you do the right things to your data, it gets more and more valuable. And then eventually you want to take money out to to do things or buy things. And you do the same thing with data. You take it out to exercise it, to make it do work for you. So there's a lot of parallels to us calling um, our internal data repository a data bank. And so this is something that the entire company has rallied around. And, you know, it was really wasn't hard. People were really open and, and excited about the concept of having a data repository that we could leverage and add to and grow over time. What are you excited about the work that you're doing right now at Standard? Is there anything specifically that's really, you know, getting you up early in the morning? Well, like I said, my, my role, I feel a little schizophrenic here at Standard sometimes, you know. Um, uh, it reminds me of that Almond Joy commercial. Sometimes I feel like a nut. Sometimes I don't. <laughs> and so there's a lot of things that get me crazy interested about this company. One, let's just talk about the work that I'm doing, some of the things that I'm working on. So we're trying to take the roofing industry or, you know, for uh, residential roofing shingles and trying to make them sexy again. If you think of your rooftop is as just this normally very uninteresting entity, how do we bring interest to that? How do we drive innovation into the rooftop? And not just changing shingle colors, but what other things can we do to make it more exciting? And so our team is working on that. And if you look at inside of our factories, they really haven't changed germanely in 40 or 50 years. So how do we make those processes more efficient? You know, how do we bring digital into that play? How do we bring data into that effect? And so my team and I have uh, partnered with universities and other startups to not just ID, but actually bring in true innovation into our factories so that we can do things more efficiently effectively, reducing our waste, lowering our costs, and hopefully, you know, making us a little bit better profit. Let's shift gears a bit and talk a little bit more about some industry topics. What are the most disruptive shifts that you're seeing in a data analytics space right now? That's an interesting question as well. I, I think when you look at data and analytics, you know, often they're, they're paired together. Everybody talks about machine learning and AI. And you know, one of the things that, you know, we wrestle with and struggle with is is getting those talented resources, being in the Bay Area, they're 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 hard to get everybody wants them. And it's hard to get the right person that you know, it's kinda of like a marriage. You gotta find the right data scientist for what you're trying to do and your company, you know. So there's a lot of companies that have sprung up recently that are low code or no code ML AI. And, you know, I think that's an opportunity and a risk for a lot of companies. I think at some point, you know, every company needs at least one or two good data scientists, data engineers that can take potentially some of those those solutions. And it kind of gives them a multiplicative effect within their, their internal companies, you know. And the reason why it's, I think, good or bad is that if you don't have that, it's really kind of difficult to qualify if you have a if you if you created a successful algorithm or you've created like a, an algorithm with a ton of bias. So most of us are in planning mode right now, but what are some of the most important conversation marketing leaders can be having with their teams right now? It could be on a variety of topics, either innovation or what's the focus or, you know, obviously budgeting. What, what are some of the things that you're focusing on? You hit it right on the head, right? You know, if, if, if you're like most companies like us, we're in budget mode preparing for 2021. Therefore, in that context, I'd have my team exploring which channels is, are going to be most impactful for next year. You know, with the election, the pandemic, pandemic and ever-evolving social sphere, the answers that you had yesterday will likely not be the same next year. So it's really just kind of planning where you're going to be doing your spending. That's what I'd be focusing on this right now. 
I want to get a little bit in the solar. So in 2019, the solar industry generated $18.7 billion worth of investment in the American economy. I know the cost for installing solar panels have gone down significantly in the past decade. How is that business for you? What, where where do you get involved in terms of you know bringing a digital marketing strategy to that specific industry? I think you know me too well because you, you know you kind of you kind of paint the questions that are that drive at the heart of me. You know when you think of the the roofing market and especially a company like companies like Standard, typically we don't sell to the end user or the homeowner. We sell to an intermediary like a contractor or a distributor, and then they seek out the homeowner. Our solar business is, is not like that. Our, our solar business is direct to consumer uh, for the most part. And so we're using data and data from companies like Infutor to help build segmentation solutions so that we can better target and get them to figure out what their needs are and how to sell to them. Absolutely. So looking ahead to 2021, how do you see data and technology changing or improving as we move into, you know, obviously, 2021 and beyond? So... I mentioned already the kind of low-code, no-code uh, ML, MML AI. I think another big driver for 2021 and beyond is the one thing that we really kind of learned over the last nine months is that we don't need to work the same way we, we used to. So homework, remote work is going to be much more prevalent. And I think companies and corporations really kind of need to have to adjust to that. And just like we got trying to collect data on our consumers or our, our, our clients, we need to start collecting data on how we how our personnel works and what sort of changes can we make with our business to better fit our employees so that they can be much more efficient in the future. I think right. digital tools will continue to mature. We've seen some new and we may see some new ones popping up over the next few months uh, as we continue this trend. What are you excited, most excited about in the future for the future standard? Is there anything that, you know, it's top of mind that every day that innovative that really especially has brought your attention and hopefully your digital expertise to really make it uh, work? Yeah, I mean, I mean, the, it's difficult because, you know, some of the things that I work on, I can't share publicly yet, but sure. there are definitely some things on the forefront that we're working on that I think are absolutely exciting. You know, part of my team's job, too, is, is to work on our patent portfolio, and we've been heavily engaged in that area, both on the digital front, technology front, and both spheres. So standards going to surprise people in the coming years with uh, what we're going to be able to do with data, the data assets that we have internally, what we're doing to mold that with some of the third-party data like Infitor and others and some of the applications that we're going to be coming out for our consumers so that they can realize more. I'll just leave it at that. So Standard is really given all of our operating companies, myself and my team, uh, an extremely interesting and exciting platform to work within. There are a number of people who are listening to this podcast who are just starting their journey in quite a difficult climate, obviously, you know, with the headwind of a pandemic. And I'm sure many of them are looking for some solid advice. What day-to-day -day principles or practices have served you well in your career? Some of them may sound funny. Some may sound not so funny, but I, I kind of have a list of things that I kind of go through as, through my career, and I think they've served me really well. And it's what I tell my kids. Number one, I always quote Bruce Lee, be like water. You, you have to be flexible in this day and age. Nothing is prescriptive. And to quote an old CEO that I used to work for, Fred, that you may know, have the courage of your convictions, George Moore. He, you know, And the whole idea there is if you think something is right and you truly believe in it, stand by it. You're, you're most likely right. 
be nice. It's that simple. I mean, there's a lot of uh, naysayers out there. There's a lot of people that just have a, a very sour disposition or outlook on life, but you don't you don't have to be that way. And I think being nice is a, a tried and true. Always trying to find the business problems. Technology will follow. And so I always tell that to my technology friends. It's, it's stay business focused. This is not a hobby. You know, you're not here to do something cool just for the sake of doing it cool. You're here to make money for your organization. So always try and solve the business problems. And I always lean toward yes. Just like when you asked and if you were asked if I would do this podcast, my first reaction was yes without hesitation. Yes leads to opportunity and yes is hope. And last but not least, I I say this to every single team that I've managed in my 20 plus year career. I say it to my kids, have fun. If you're not having fun, why do it? If you're having fun, it's not work. And those are sort of the principles I live by. Great stuff, Steve. Fantastic advice. Is there any go-to sites or other specific areas that you look for knowledge in terms of marketing resources? Like where, where do you go? What's your day-to-day on when it comes to that? Yeah. So as you know or not know, I'm not a huge reader, right? But I always read about stuff that I'm interested in. So that's kind of like yes and no sort of thing. But like I have generally three daily reads, um, four now, actually. One of them is Crunchbase. I always read Crunchbase, the Crunchbase daily. It kind of keeps me hip on kind of what people are investing their money into. It kind of helps me find companies that are coming out of stealth to some degree. And it's just interesting just to, like i said where, where people are spending the money that's kind of where the energy is and that's that there's always opportunity for marketing in those areas there's two vcs that i follow one is abc.com and the other one's feld brad feld that well, it's actually feld.com but it's brad feld and the last one is the daily brew and this was something that my CTO connected me with probably like four or five months ago. So it's it's almost like Flipboard, but not Flipboard. It's kind of like a daily quick synopsis of, of, of events and technology and kind of how they interrelate. But it's a quick read. But those are the four things that I, I really kind of read every day without without fail. And it kind of gives me a broad view of the world. It kind of, kind of informs some of the way I consider uh companies, investments, and how to best position whatever organization I'm working for for the future. Great advice. And I, I love the Daily Brew. I will absolutely uh, second that one, Crunchbase, another great suggestion. I'd like to go back a little bit about disruptive shifts. It's something I didn't talk about before. It's something I'd like to get your, your your opinion on where are you seeing anything in the data and analytics space right now that is could potentially disruptive? And I'd like to also throw out one where there's a you know obviously growing government government effort to you know towards privacy and obviously in California has stricter stricter laws in other parts of the country that could potentially be disruptive for the industry. Is, is there anything else that comes to mind? And also, I'd like your comment on the effort for increased privacy, obviously throughout the U.S. Let's start with the increased privacy one. This is near and dear to my heart. You know, I think I, I think everyone in the U.S. is schizophrenic. And actually kind of around the world, right? And why do I say that? When you have applications or tools like Facebook, Instagram, where people are freely giving their position, what they're doing and things like that, no one seems to have an issue with it. But then when there is like data issues for data breaches and uh, other information gets out, then people kind of get all tied in a knot. I think laws like CCPA and GDPR in uh, Europe and around the world, I think they're they're trying to set a kind of a base level of understanding of what data is and, and what private data should be and how it should be managed. 
I, you know, I, I, I do struggle with it sometimes, you know, because sometimes the, the, the laws and the rulings around can be somewhat punitive if you as an, a, a data provider or a data consumer use it in not the prescribed way unknowingly. So, yeah, I just, eh, yeah, I could, we could, that's a longer conversation, Fred. <laughs> so, uh, you know, with some twists and turns and, you know, I, I welcome, you know, people's feedback or challenging anything I said. You know, I think I think there's room and opportunity for a lot of discussion around privacy. Disruptive shifts. It's so obviously that would be a disruptive shift if there's more government legislation against what we can do with mar- marketing data. Do you see any foresee any other disruptive shifts potentially in the data analytics space that could affect your business? Well, you know, uh, yes, but it's not what you think. It's not what you're going to think. So, and it's actually, I think, it's data ownership is really what I, I see. And I think more and more companies now are starting to understand the value of their data and are less are getting less and less willing to share. Or if they want to share, they want an absolutely ridiculous price for the data uh, that they think they have. So, in in I think. Over time, that'll settle out, right? You know, it, you know, there'll be some established norms for what data is worth and what data, you know, people can share or want to share. But, but I think over the next five years, as companies get more educated about the data assets they have, I think that's going to, and that's how companies are, are kind of being valued now about the data assets that they that they can produce. I think that's going to be a disruptive shift when you have companies that 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 try and acquire data and how much they can acquire and what they can sell and what they can't sell over time. And I think it's going to sneak up on a lot of folks over over time that how data can be used and who's going to sell what great your competitors do you collect any data on them is that, is that part of what you're doing is to try to collect as much information on the competitors in the space or is it more you're just strictly focused on a consumer and and, and less so on what what everyone else is doing well, you know, if I'm being altruistic, I'd like to say, you know, hey, Fred, you know, we only concerned about us, you know, but I think any good business always has an eye out for what their competitors are doing. And we're no different. Right. We, we have to. No, nobody wants to be snuck upon and, and, and overtaken. But really, we, we, we spend probably 10 percent of our time or less focusing on that. It's really is. If you're always looking forward and driving for new innovations, it's always easier being the lead dog and having your your competitors try and catch you versus you looking over your shoulder and trying to see what they're doing. You're invariably going to run into a wall or to a tree at some point if you're constantly looking back. So, you know, I keep us driving forward and trying to continually innovate, whether it be on uh, processes, data, or how we think about data or, or any other assets that we that may come to bear. Could you elaborate a little bit on how the the business functions in terms of the importance of distribution and not only that, but the actual workers who are installing roofing materials? It's a kind of an interesting business in that a lot of it is, I think, educating these very important players as part of your industry of the, the installers and the distribution uh, network. And could you describe a little bit how that works in the roofing and, and uh, solar industry? Yeah, sure. Real high level, you know, JF, uh, the the North America based organization that that's on any standard. Much like you know all of our competitors, you know, they're they're, they're a manufacturing companies. So their their job is to produce the shingles, produce the waterproofing material, and then to elicit help of contractors to install that their product and you know so we sell to distributors we sell to big box stores we sell to large contractors and uh, those contractors pick up those goods from those one of those three entities or 
or from us directly if they're large enough. And then we try and educate them on our systems to install out in the field. And we try and give them as much support as possible. It is really kind of that simple, you know, and it, just think about yourself as a homeowner and bought a couple houses in my, in my time. So you think about when you buy a house or, you know, when do you think about the roof when you're either buying a house, selling a house, or there's been some environmental event that causes you to think about your roof. And the first thing you do is you ask your friends about, um, you know, what's a good contractor in the area that can install my roof? You don't think about the, actually the product or the, or, or the company that's selling the product. You just think about who's going to install it properly. And so, you know, winning the eyes and ears of those of those special contractors is really important for us and our competitors. So you view your businesses working hand in hand with those contractors to optimize revenue as opposed to trying to get a, you know, hitting the consumer with awareness about the products that you have more. So it's, it's geared towards the, the contractors and the distribution network. Today, I, I would say that's true, you know, and I, and I think no business would be completely solid without trying to do some sort of branding opportunities to make, you know, your end user homeowner aware of what the products that you have or, or or that you're trying to sell. So, you know, it's a delicate blend and delicate mix of what we're reaching out to the uh, end user, putting some product placement out there uh, strategically and encouraging and educating your contractor base to to install your product line as efficiently as possible. Right. And that's how you, is that how you envision integrating the Infutor data, the property data, the demographic data is to integrate this into a database that eventually will really help your, your distribution network, your contractors identify the best opportunities and the best in the marketplace? The Infutor data, we're, we're trying some uh, experiments internally, and we think we have a, a path forward that I, I can't share right now with you on what, what we're trying to do. But what you mentioned is tangential to what we're, we're thinking about. But really, you know, really, it, it's about selling the most product and, and how do we do that? So, you know, we're, we're, we're betting on a few different bets in the future, you know, as it were. Uh, so well, I'm really, more, yeah. more to come. More to come. I'm, I'm sure, forward. You'll be the first to know once we launch it. You know. <laughs> well, we got to absolutely have a sequel to this pod then. And when, once those are ready to go public, we definitely got to get more details on that. Absolutely. Avery, last question. What's the one piece of advice that you would give to, obviously you gave some great tips to your children, but for anyone else in the marketing space right now, what's the most important piece of advice for 2021 as you look forward? It could be anything. It could be, uh, you know, I know, have fun, but is there anything else that you would really suggest as, uh, you know, there's so many, it's such a difficult and uncertain time with the pandemic and, and a lot of, you know, questions of societal chaos, to put it mildly. Anything else that you would like to advice that you'd like to pass on your fellow marketers? Yeah, I like to keep it simple. You know, stay in front of your customer. You know, they're going to tell you what they want if you listen, right? And it's truly that simple. And, you know, they will tell you far in advance of the markets turning or, or you having to do something special. Stay in front of your customer. Xavier, thanks again for being the, the first guest on Identity Revolution. Really appreciate your time. Uh, you've been a great professional, great friend of mine throughout the years, and it's an honor to interview you for this inaugural podcast. Thanks, Fred. It's been my pleasure as well. All the best to you. We've got to talk again soon. Thanks a lot, Xavier. All right. Cheers. Thanks again for listening to Identity Revolution. For more data-driven discussion, subscribe to Identity Revolution on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And for more on how Infutor can improve your data strategy across your entire enterprise, visit infutor.com.